Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host, Keith Patrick, every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. I'm coming to you from the road this week. I've been traveling for work and wanted to do my best to record you an episode and look ahead to this Frisco College Baseball Classic coming up this weekend at Dr. Pepper Ballpark, the home of the Frisco Rough Riders. I'm your host, Keith Patrick. And as always, excited to be here talking to you about Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. Sorry if things sound a little bit different. I'm recording for you from a hotel room in Austin, Texas, doing a little bit of travel for work. Always enjoy doing that, but definitely when you record a podcast, it makes that a little bit more interesting. So trying something out a little bit different, doing it on the road, but it should be fun either way. Let's hop right in here and talk about Texas Tech's midweek game versus the New Mexico State Aggies. The Red Raiders faced the Aggies three times in 2018. They swept that series. Now, New Mexico State, kind of the M.O. on them, they will generally get off to a really hot start and be one of the top offensive teams in the country. But a couple pieces of that, they're in the whack, for one, so their competition is just a little bit different from a level of quality. And, and early in the season, they're not scheduling the most amazing teams you know, and, and really pumping up an RPI, but they do score a lot of runs. So we've seen that again this year from the Aggies, as I mentioned in the last episode on Monday. And by the way, if you didn't notice that, we changed the format this week a little bit. I'll do my best to record episodes following a weekend series and bring you a recap of that and a look ahead to the midweek. And then I'll bring you another episode on Thursday, looking ahead to the upcoming weekend series. So that'll cut down the length of those episodes just a little bit, and they'll come to you a little bit more frequently. I'd heard from several folks wanting a little bit more content each week, and so I'll do my best to give you that and try to keep those on schedule. We did see that from New Mexico in their opening series against Texas Southern. They scored 98 runs to Texas Southern's 19, and then once again came in and played the Yale Bulldogs, and again were prolific at the plate. So like 148 runs scored through the season before they came to Lubbock to face the Red Raiders. Now Bryce Bonin got the start for you against New Mexico State. He was a starter, if you'll remember, in the opening weekend series against the Oregon Ducks. Did not have a good outing on that Saturday and was pulled very quickly. Now what we did find out in the Tim Tadlock radio show this week with Jeff Haxton was that leading up to the Oregon series because of the weather in Lubbock, the decision had been made by the coaching staff not to pitch pitchers outside. So coming into that opening series, none of those starting pitchers had actually faced live batters in practice immediately coming into that series. So that definitely made a difference. They were pitching inside and just getting in arm work, but not actually facing batters. So that was what possibly one reason they were rusty. And Coach Tadlock took full responsibility for making that decision, but wanted to do what was best for the health of his pitchers. And I I certainly respect that. So Bonin came in and had a really solid game against New Mexico State. The Red Raiders ended up defeating them seven to nothing at two o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. Bonin went six full innings pitch, so that's the longest outing by a Texas Tech starter this season. He allowed four hits, he had two walks, he fanned three batters, and obviously zero runs in that time in a 7-0 shutout. And he hit one batter along the way, but overall Bryce Bonin was very sharp. 
He had great command. His velo hung at 95, 96 easily for him. He is just really an impressive pitcher. I think that you'll be seeing more of him in starting roles, and I would think that there would be more opportunity for weekend spots for him as long as he continues to show this kind of command. So you saw Trey Garlett come in again. Great reliever for the Red Raiders in that Oregon series. Hadn't seen him again yet. He came in for an inning in relief and pitched an inning of shutout baseball. John McMillan did the same, and Caleb Freeman did the same. So you got three guys come in, each get an inning apiece following Bryce Bonin, who got the win and is 1-0 now for the Red Raiders. So a solid midweek game against the New Mexico State Aggies. You had another home run from Cameron Warren. Obviously, that one cleared the bases. You had a three RBI shot there by Cam. And a pretty good hitting day all the way around. Dylan Noisy was two for two with two RBI and a walk. Cody Masters got some action. He got two hits on the day, scored a run, had an RBI and a walk as well. Just an overall pretty solid one. Brian Klein had a great day. He was three for five at the plate with a run scored and an RBI mixed in there as well. So, Overall, it was a nice, solid day of hitting. There was a couple balls that hit off the wall that were almost home runs, too, and not wind-aided. One of them was a a line drive. I didn't get to watch this game. I was driving to Austin and listened to all of it on the radio, but definitely sounded like a good outing for the Red Raiders. One thing about New Mexico State that I don't look forward to seeing again, or rather hearing again, their dugout is the loudest dugout I've ever heard in Division One college baseball. It truly did sound like a softball team out there, only they weren't chanting. They were just constantly chattering. Before we dive into the Frisco College Baseball Classic, I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about how these Red Raiders are looking statistically. Now, Dylan Noisy has come in as a transfer out of McLennan Community College. That's outside of Waco. I don't know that a lot of folks know who Dylan Noisy is. He was drafted out of high school, ended up going to junior college for a year, so he's a transferred sophomore. Now, Noisy's brother played shortstop for the Oklahoma Sooners a few years ago. He was also a draft pick, and he's currently playing AAA baseball in an MLB organization. He's a a solid player as well. So Noisy's come in, and he's absolutely raking right now. He's batted a 407 through his seven games started. In his 27 at-bats, he's got eight runs scored. He's got 11 hits. He's slugging an incredible 852. He's number two in the nation in triples currently. He's drawn five walks, which is good for second on the team. Josh Young, Gabe Holt, and Doug Facendo have all drawn eight. He's just really been impressive. He's got a 515 on base percentage. He's error free in left field. He's made some good catches and plays out there. He seems like a really good natured, good attitude young man. It's just been fun to watch him play. He is doing a fantastic job so far. Cody Masters has gotten a little bit of work. He did get an an opportunity to come in against New Mexico State, had a multi-hit game, so that was good for him. You really would just love to see him find a place out on the field. Masters has a lot of tools. He's very fast. He could really be a great player for the Red Raiders. You just got to make sure that his bat is working. But I think that Coach Tadlock really wants to give him an opportunity. And some of the national sites over the offseason did put him on some lists of, of potential breakouts this season. So I think you could he could be a weapon if you could find a place for him to stand. Braxton Fulford, out of your starters, is second on the team in batting average. He's got a three eighty nine. He's got two home runs. They came in the same game against Oregon. In his 18 at-bats, he scored six runs. He has seven hits. He's got, as I said, two home runs, four RBI. He's slugging a seven twenty two. He's also drawn three walks. So 
for Fulford as your nine hole hitter, you know, in 2018, he just really wasn't able to get much going at the plate, but he's certainly seeing balls better. He's working counts better. Uh, he's really come out and solidified his position in that role as the starting catcher. Not only has he been strong defensively, he's error free there. He's done a solid job in the field all the way around. He's gunning guys down at first. His snap throws have been strong. I mean, he really has looked good. And then on top of that, his bat's working, and, and all of a sudden you have a double leadoff situation with him in the nine hole. Brian Klein has a 387 batting average. He's done a great job as well. He's had 12 hits, six runs. He's slugging a 452. You'd like to see a little bit more power out of him. He does have nine RBI. So I think that if there's anywhere he could improve, it'd be just some of those extra base hits. But Klein has been strong all the way around. He only has one error on the season, which for a middle infield with a brand new shortstop, a, a true freshman shortstop, that's not too bad at all. Drew Baker's been strong as well, batting a 344. He's had eight runs, 11 hits, six RBI in his at-bats. He's done a strong job. He's drawn a couple of walks. He's had a, some really good games. I think you'll start seeing him put together more and more strong at-bats. Something Tim Tadlock talked about, and it's important to remember, some of these guys just have a lot to learn. You know, you have to learn what you can and can't hit. That's why you see guys like Cam Warren just battling at the plate, constantly fighting off pitches. Gabe Holt does the same thing, just spoiling pitches for these guys, pushing up pitch counts, and just constantly fighting that pitcher. I mean, that's real strength in experienced hitters is they're jacking up pitch counts on pitchers. You're running off starters earlier. They're frustrating pitchers and pulling them out of their rhythm, and they're just waiting for that one ball. They know what it is they can and can't hit. They know what they can reach for and get on base with. I mean, that's that experience level, and that's just some things true freshmen like Drew Baker will learn as they go along. Josh Young and Gabe Holt are both batting 333. Their slugging percentage is both over 400. Holt at 400 even. Josh Young at 444. Both have drawn eight walks. They've been solid. I think you expect Josh Young at the plate to be a little bit more dangerous. Uh, he is leading the team in doubles. He has three so far on the season. He has six RBI. He's been solid for sure. He's got one error on the season, and it wasn't anything egregious. But I think that Josh Young is probably a little bit frustrated because I think he expects more of himself. You'll see him come on. I have no doubt that Josh Young will pick it up, that he'll start to see the ball better, that he will continue to trust in his process. He is completely within himself. I don't think you'll see him continue to struggle. It's baseball. Sometimes slumps happen. Sometimes you start in a slump, and then you break out of it. You'll see Josh Young have a breakout game sooner rather than later, I think. He's going to get his first home run. He's going to get some big hits. He's had big situational hits so far this season, but I think you'll see a game where he just is absolutely unbelievable, and you'll get a ton of national coverage because he's going to be such a high draft pick. Tanner Otrimba has also been really strong. He's got two home runs so far. He's got 10 RBI. He's slugging a 609. He's batting a 304. He's got seven runs scored on seven hits. He's got four drawn walks. I mean, he's just he's faster than he looks. He's fun to watch play. I don't know if he's locked up right field. I don't know if those are decisions that Coach Tadlock has made yet, but he is error-free. He's played right field a fair amount, especially since Gabe Holt has gone out and, and Marshawk has been in in center field. We'll talk a little bit later about some nickname options for him, but I think that Otrimba will be a guy that will find a place for in your lineup. Cameron Warren is also... Having a fairly solid season, he is hitting a 292, but he's slugging a 625. He's drawn a couple walks as well. He's only been hit by one pitch so far rather than like 11 at this point last season. Cameron Warren has six runs scored on seven hits. 
He does have several extra base hits. He has eight RBI. He's been pretty good situationally for you. I think you want to see some more home runs out of Cameron Warren. He does have that power. He did hit one against New Mexico State. That pushed him up to two for the season. It was funny. I think somebody called that on Twitter, actually. They said, I'm feeling a Cameron Warren home run in the fourth, and that's exactly what happened. So I think there's still potential that things move around in the field and as far as who plays where and what's going on. But it's also tough to argue Doug Facendo has done a good job as the DH for the Red Raiders. He's batting a two sixty seven, but he's also slugging a six hundred and he's drawn eight walks, which is tied for the team lead with Young and Holt. So he's just got so many guys top to bottom that are doing such a strong job. It's hard to really argue or think about anybody else as far as what they're going to be doing or who's going to be breaking into the lineup. But top to bottom, very strong. The team is hitting well. You know, you're just going to see a lot of growth as they continue to to mold together as an infield and outfield and as they continue to figure out what the lineup needs to be, where they're going to fit the best, those kinds of things. So it, I just wanted to get a little overview and talk about them a little bit. And I'll mention pitchers briefly. I don't want to get too deep into the pitchers, but you definitely have some guys that are doing a good job. Dane Haveman has a 142 ERA and six and a third innings of work. He's only allowed four hits and one run. He's really been strong in all of his appearances. The batting average against for him is a 211, which is just fantastic. Trey Garland as well, 208 ERA and four and a third inning pitch, two hits and a run allowed. He's got a 167 batting average against. So that's also really nice to see when you're looking at guys that have that have spent some time out there. Now, Bryce Bonin and Mason Montgomery both have two starts now under their belt. They're both their ERAs are in the fives, but their batting average against for Montgomery is a 242 and Bonin a 261. So it could be a little bit better, but definitely not bad. Bonin was fantastic on Tuesday against New Mexico State. Montgomery was just as good in his second Sunday start as he was in his first, maybe a little bit better. So they're both been fun to watch, and, and I think that they're going to continue to to move forward for you. And then your concern is is Caleb Killian. His ERA is a 1057 right now. In seven and two-thirds innings, he's allowed 12 hits and nine runs, all of them earned. The batting average against is a 364. It's been a little bit of a struggle for Caleb. I mean, he did fight and battle and get himself solidified and get five innings under his belt in his start last weekend against Kentucky on Saturday, but he just hasn't quite put everything together yet. I think that you'll continue to see him work forward. I think that Coach Tadlock and Gardner will be patient and allow him to work through whatever struggles he's currently dealing with, but you've seen great things from him, certainly at the end of last season, so I think you will again. It's just taking him a little bit of time. Hopefully this weekend in the Frisco Baseball Classic will be when that happens. I've been talking about this tournament since we first heard about it and saw the lineup of teams. I'm very excited to see who these teams are, what they're going to do. So let's dive right into this Frisco College Baseball Classic. You're going to be facing three teams over the weekend, one each day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You'll face Nebraska Friday night. You'll face Mississippi State Saturday night. And then Sunday afternoon, you'll face Sam Houston State. So Nebraska, 7 p.m. on Friday night, that's March 1st, you'll be seeing them at Frisco. Nebraska's a team with a pretty good baseball history. They have 17 NCAA tournament appearances. They were one of the biggest storylines in college baseball in the early 2000s. One, because Nebraska had never made a college World Series. Despite being just right down the road from Omaha, they had never actually made it to the series. And it was just an interesting and, you know, one of those stories that you hear you know, kind of trotted out when that time of the year comes around. 
Well, in 2001, 2, and 5, Nebraska made series in all three of those years, so three out of five, and that was a solid time for them. They've continued to make the NCAA tournament but haven't gotten back to the College World Series since 2005. They did miss the tournament last year. They were 24-28 and 28 on the season, 8-14 and 14 in the Big Ten. Ultimately, just had a good strength of schedule, but just couldn't get that RPI up, couldn't get the wins they needed. They lost four pitchers to injury in 2018 for mostly the entire season. Three of those missed for Tommy John surgery. So that really killed their ERA. It was like a 570, 232nd in the country. So that's pretty bad. But they have some strong arms coming back. They have some strong players coming back. I'm not going to say they're going to be a world-beating team, but they'll be more of the Power 5 team that you're used to seeing, uh, especially one with the pedigree that Nebraska does bring to the table. Now, in 2018, they did have a team slash line of 274, 371, and 407. So those were ranked 113th, 91st, and 99th. Now, remember, in Division I college baseball, there's 299 teams. So those aren't terrible rankings for a team to have. They hit 47 home runs in 2018, and they may do the same again. They may not, but I definitely think that they're not a team to be ignored or overlooked by any means. They also brought in the 16th-ranked recruiting class in the country, so that's some much-needed depth for them. And we've talked about before, it's difficult for the Big Ten to compete in baseball. They really lose the first month or even more of their season to weather. They don't get a lot of outside practice early on, and that's been true for the Huskers as well. They've actually recently had to change their home schedule because over the last week, Nebraska has been under some serious weather, lots of snow, lots of ice, things like that, so they just haven't been able to play baseball, certainly not at home. So, so far this season, the Huskers are 3-5 and five overall. Now, they opened their series on the road at UC Riverside. They took that series 3-1. to one. They had pretty solid run production through that. They actually won their first game 21-6. to six. They lost the front end of a doubleheader 9-10 and then won 10-6 the second one of that day and then took the final game 7-1. So not a bad outing against a UC Riverside team early in the season. But then they certainly didn't shy away from a challenge. And in the Big Ten Pac-12 Challenge, they went to Surprise Arizona and they played a four-game stand with Oregon State Now, the Beavers have been one of the hottest teams in college baseball for over a decade. They're really a strong contender. They're a perennial College World Series team, and Nebraska dropped all four games to the Beavers. Now, they weren't terrible. They they lost a 2-8 game, a 3-5, kind of lost their footing on the Saturday game, and it was 17-1, and then came back around on Sunday and again an 8-3 game. So they battled. It wasn't horribly out of hand, but they definitely did struggle, but against an extremely elite team, a team that anyone in the country would look at and wonder how they were going to fare against them. So don't know a whole lot about that team when they've played a UC Riverside and then come back and play in Oregon State. You don't get to see a whole lot from that. Now, they did hang with Oregon State for the most part. I think that's one of those, you hate to say moral victory, but it's certainly a lesson coming from a series like that where they can look and say, hey, we hung with these guys. We hung with a team that's been the best, that is near the best right now, and they can take some things from that and grow. But it's going to be difficult for them. They haven't gotten to play any other baseball since that Oregon State series in surprise. 
They're not playing at home right now. So coming into Frisco, it's going to be a big test for Nebraska. For the Huskers, as far as batting is concerned, they don't have a lot of players that are really showing a lot at the plate. Their top batting average right now is a three thirty three. Generally, this time of the season, even with players getting quality at bats, you'll see some guys that are in the four and even 500 still before numbers start to settle down. So with eight games played and most of these guys' starters, for them to be in the 300s, the low 300s, that's not really that exciting at this time. You got four players in the 300s from 333 down to right around 300. You've got another one at 297. Then you've got two guys that have both played and started seven games that are sub 200, sub Mendoza. So that's not great for them. They definitely are going to have to ramp up the run production if they want to keep up with teams like Texas Tech and Mississippi State as well. I think that that could definitely be a challenge, and they're going to be facing some pretty good pitching if the Red Raiders are on and certainly if the other teams are on as well. Now, when it comes to their arms, they do have some reasonably good guys that have showed out as starters. Mike Waldron and Matt Waldron have both showed out that way. They have two appearances. Neither of those were starts. Chad Lunsman was expected to be a starter, and he has been. He has two games under his belt. He's got a 3.68 ERA. He's pitched seven and a third innings through his two starts. Nate Fisher, another with two starts, has pitched eight innings through those starts with a 6.75 ERA. So, Overall, they do have some pitching there, but they certainly are going to need to look to their bullpen. And they've got four guys in the bullpen that they'll probably be able to look at. Jackson Hallmark is one coming in from last season that is going to be important for them. He's only pitched two-thirds of the season. His ERA is a zero still. But they have a lot of guys at the bottom end of that bullpen that are really struggling, and they're stacked up there, have not been able to put together quality innings for the Huskers. So I definitely think that could be a struggle, especially going into a series like this, which ultimately is a three-game weekend. But in a tournament like this, you're constantly seeing a new team rather than seeing a team you're familiar with on a Sunday and knowing who you're going to be seeing and who may be coming out of the bullpen at that point. So this could be a tough one for Nebraska. I would say coming into this Frisco Classic, they are definitely the underdog of the weekend. So on Saturday night at 6 o'clock, the Red Raiders will face the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Now, this is one of the bluest of blue bloods in college baseball. They have 17 conference championships under their belt, dating back to 1909. They've got 37 NCAA tournament appearances dating back to 1949. So in the 18 years of the 2000s, they've made the NCAA tournament 14 of those years. So they are definitely a team that is continually elite in college baseball. They have 10 College World Series berths over that time, the most recent in 2018. They did have a bit of a drought before that uh, and hadn't been since 2013. Still haven't won a national championship, but one of the top of the top teams in Division I college baseball. So in 2018, they went 39 and 29. They were 15 and 15 in the SEC. So you hear that and say, really, they were 500 in conference and they still made the NCAA tournament. They did. And there were a lot of surprises with this team. Early on, it didn't even seem like they would be making the postseason at all. Their coach was removed and they had an interim put in place. They had a losing record in the SEC, and then they swept Florida late in the season, and they snuck into the tournament. And then all of a sudden, they lost to Oklahoma 20-10 to in the Tallahassee Regional. And you're thinking, these guys aren't going to make it anywhere. Then they came out, they won four games in a row to win that Tallahassee Regional. Then they went to Nashville, and they beat Vanderbilt on their home turf and made it to the College World Series. It was really a great story from that season with an interim coach. They really had a really impressive year. So they did not retain their interim coach. They went and hired Chris Lamonis from Indiana. He's a high-energy guy. 
you know, you have a new full-time coach on board and you have a team that just went to the College World Series in an unstable year. So imagine what they'd be able to do this season. Certainly lost some guys like everyone does. They had a lot of guys drafted going uh, into this season, but they had a strong pitching staff in 2018. They were ranked 104th in ERA with a 440, but they were 7th in the country in strikeouts with 619 strikeouts on the season. Their right-hander JT Ginn was a first-round pick by the Dodgers, but he decided to go to college instead, and this season already he has absolutely been showing out for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Again, has two starts under his belt. He's pitched 12 innings in those two starts. He's got a 150 ERA, just absolutely impressive. He's allowed two runs in that time, only four hits. He's got 16 strikeouts. And you hear numbers like that and think, man, that's a fantastic job by that guy. And then they have another guy named Ethan Small, who also has a 150 ERA. He's also got two games started under his belt. He also has 12 innings pitched. He's also only allowed four hits and two runs, and he's got 24 strikeouts in that time. Both of them have allowed one home run apiece. And then Keegan James, another for the Bulldogs, he only has eight innings pitched, but a 112 ERA. He started two games has uh, allowed seven hits and one run and has 10 strikeouts. So right there at the top, as far as the starting rotation goes, three of currently some of the best pitching in college baseball. So definitely going to be a challenge, but should be a lot of fun to watch when you talk about the offensive powerhouse that Texas Tech is starting to look like and then the pitching that you'll see in the Mississippi State Bulldogs. As far as the offense is concerned for the Bulldogs, they've got several guys in the kind of low to mid-300s range as far as batting average goes. They've currently hit 10 home runs as a team. They're slugging pretty well. Their on-base percentage is pretty strong. Overall, it's a team that's going to push you a little bit at the plate. Jake Mangum is a name that I'm sure you've heard in college baseball. He's a big-name player for them. He's currently got a 324. He's had 11 runs scored and 11 hits so far on the season. He's slugging 471. And Jordan Westberg, another strong player for them, he's leading the team with a 355 batting average across eight games. He's slugging a 516, and Dustin Skelton slugging a 609. I mean, these guys are they're hitting extra base hits, and they're doing pretty strong job. And similar home run numbers to the Red Raiders, which isn't off pace, but you know, I think you see that later in the season start to progress as guys start to see the ball a little bit better. So so far, Mississippi State is seven and one on the season. They opened the season against Youngstown State and swept them, scored. 36 runs to Youngstown State's five. So not a big surprise. I mean, it's an opening series. A lot of times it's not against the strongest opponents. They had a midweek against UAB. The University of Alabama at Birmingham won that one 3-2. Now, then they played a series against Southern Miss. Now, Southern Miss is not a bad team by any means. Probably going to be better this year than people gave them credit for early. They lost the front end game of that Southern Miss series one to nothing, and they lost it in extra innings in the tenth, and then ended up coming back and winning the series, winning eight to one and and four three. But I'm pretty sure that the game was even tied in that four three Sunday game. So there in the rubber match, the game was tied in the ninth, and Mississippi State had to come out and grab it. So. Definitely not a team that's unbeatable by any means. And Southern Miss, that's a little bit of a rivalry, but obviously not the same caliber of team or program as Mississippi State. And uh, they did get sneak away and get one from them. Now, they have had a couple of midweek games this week. They played Jackson State yesterday. They won that one 17-4, and they'll be playing Southeastern Louisiana. That game, as I record, fired up about 15 minutes ago. I would expect to win there as well. So all in all, I think 
if there was a game of the weekend, Texas Tech versus Mississippi State would have to be it. They're two College World Series teams from 2018. They're two strong teams. It's a strong pitching team versus a very strong offensive team. Should be a lot of fun to watch. It's very winnable for the Red Raiders, especially if they come out and play like we know they're capable of and definitely am hoping to see their starting pitching take another step forward and really have a strong showing. That Saturday performance will be important, and that'll be a big decision for Coach Tim Tadlock and Coach Matt Gardner to, to figure out. And then the final game of the weekend will be against the Sam Houston State Bearcats on Sunday at 3 p.m. So Sam Houston State, everyone will remember, came to the Lubbock Regional in 2017, a bit of an underdog, ended up knocking the Red Raiders out of their own regional and ending their season. They had a junk baller that was just absolutely infuriating to watch. He was a tiny guy. He came out. He threw 70 miles an hour. He threw over 100 pitches in one start and then came out and threw 80-something more to win the game and ultimately the regional for the Bearcats. So frustrating weekend of baseball for Texas Tech. Frustrating to see that 2017 season come to a close a little bit too soon. But a good team, a good baseball team. Things got chippy with them. They were competitors. They were salty. But I will say, from a personal standpoint, I heard an interview with Coach Matt Deggs, the head coach of Sam Houston State. He's a guy that was a top assistant coach in college baseball at one point, struggled with alcoholism and some other problems, and has been very open about that and his faith and recovering from those things. He was very open with Sam Houston State when they hired him as far as those things go. And I would highly encourage you to check out his story. He was very open about it in the Super Regional in 2017 when he had that stage and was able to talk about that story. He did an interview with Bill Ballou on the College Baseball Now podcast last year. I'll post that in the show notes, and you can go check it out. But it was a really good episode and really, really interesting to hear his story and his perspective. He seems like a pretty good guy, and I just really enjoyed playing baseball against those guys. It was also one of my most fun heckling weekends over there at first base with their first base coach. He was a lot of fun to mess with. He gave us some things to work with and, and had fun with us too. So that's really what we're there for. We want to get in their head, but it's all about having a good time as well. So Sam Houston State, also a school with some good baseball history. Most may not realize they've been to 11 NCAA tournaments, but only became a Division I team in the late 1980s. So 11 NCAA tournaments since 1987. They did have some NCAA tournament appearances as a Division II team, which they were very shortly in the early 1980s. And they had eight berths in the College World Series as an NAIA team dating back to the 1960s and up through the 70s. They actually won that championship in 1963. So there's some pedigree there. There's some history there. And while you say, yeah, but that was NAIA or that was Division Two, well, I understand that. But that pedigree, that baseball program expectation and excellence was still there one way or the other, and they've built on it over the years. They're a salty team. They did miss the NCAA tournament in 2018. That can be tough as, a, as one of those mid-major teams are in the Southland Conference. They were 39-20 and 20 on the season, 24-6 and six in their conference. Their RPI was a 54, but ultimately you just have to pump up that strength of schedule. Theirs was only 88th in the country, so you really got to pump that up when you're one of those teams if you want to get a nod from the committee and have an opportunity to go compete in the postseason. They really had strong pitching numbers in 2018. They had a team ERA of 380. That was good enough for 45th in the nation. You have definitely some guys that are back for them that are really going to be contributing. I'll jump into them in a second. They have a ton of 
returning seniors, but they do have some freshmen that are playing in the middle and corner infield and as well as a, an outfield position. So definitely something to think about. Every college baseball team ends up with some of those. With as many guys as get drafted and move on, and when they're able to move on, you just end up having to replace folks. That's just the nature of the beast. They've been really a perennial NCAA tournament team over the past decade. And to be honest, they have 11 seniors coming back to this 2019 squad. 11 seniors. Texas Tech has one. Cameron Warren is the only senior on the Red Raider team. Now, you know, you can frame that in a few different ways. They didn't get as many guys drafted. The talent isn't quite as high as as major programs. But 11 seniors is a lot of leadership. And guys can learn to be pretty good baseball players playing in a Division One college program over four years. So I think there's an opportunity there that you're going to see a really experienced team. They're going to be a well-coached team. And they're going to potentially be a big challenge for the Red Raiders. Now to dive into what they've done so far this season – Sam Houston State is 5-2 and two overall. They started their season at the Rycast Classic, which is a tournament down in Deland, Florida. They played Manhattan there, who they beat 12-7. They played Stetson, who was the Cinderella Super Regional team of 2018. They beat them 4-3, and they lost to Virginia Tech 3-2. They had a scheduled game with Texas Southern, who New Mexico State boat raced across four games, and that one ended up being postponed. And then if you haven't heard, the University of Louisiana Lafayette is now just called Louisiana. I was confused about that opening weekend. That's who the University of Texas was playing. Had to go dig in and figure out who's just Louisiana. But the Ragin' Cajuns are now known that way. Sam Houston State swept a three-game series with them, 7-5, 9-8, and 9-2. So they did play a midweek game this week on Tuesday. They went to Austin and they lost that game to the Longhorns 10-3. to And they'll also be facing TCU tonight as I record this uh, on Wednesday night, February 27th. So they'll face TCU back at home and then they'll be coming to Frisco to play that game. They play Mississippi State on Friday afternoon, Nebraska on Saturday afternoon, and then end their weekend with Texas Tech on Sunday afternoon. So I think if the game of the weekend is – Texas Tech versus Mississippi State. The trap game of the weekend is Texas Tech versus Sam Houston State. I think they're going to be a better team than people might be expecting. I think they're salty. They definitely are going to bring some bats to the table. They've currently got two players slugging over 625, Clayton Harp and Gavin Johnson. And I'm talking about starters. I'm talking about people with quality at bats. They've also got two more guys slugging in the 500s, Colton Kowser with a 571 and Hunter Hearn with a 536. They've so far hit nine home runs as a team, so really on pace with Mississippi State and Texas Tech from that standpoint. They've got one guy, Gavin Johnson, that's slugging 682. He's batting a 409 right now. And Clayton Harp, that's slugging 625, has 10 RBI on the season already. Colton Kowser with eight. So they're definitely a team that's hitting around. They're getting their guys moving around. They're not stranding a ton of guys. I think that they're going to be fairly salty at the plate. As far as their pitching goes, they've struggled a little bit more. Their starters have been Hayden Wesneski. He's got a 270 ERA. He started two games. He's had 13 and a third innings pitched in that time. He's allowed 10 hits and four runs and one home run in that time. He is 1-0. and And then Cody Wolf has started one game. He's appeared in three. He's got a 648 ERA and eight and a third innings. Also has allowed 10 hits and six runs. So a little bit of struggle there. And then their other starter, Seth Ballou, Two games started, he's 0-1, but he has 11.74 ERA in seven and two-thirds innings. 11 runs have been allowed. Now, some of that's the competition they've faced, but also, as Tim Tadlock talks about sometimes, you're still out there throwing balls and strikes and swinging bats. And, you know, baseball is baseball to some extent, and, of course, talent does play into that. But I think if anything's going to push 
this Sam Houston State team over the weekend. It'll be starting pitching, and then their bullpen is a crapshoot for everybody. But when it comes around to it, their bullpen looks fairly good through their game so far and, and has done a fairly good job. But you can't use everybody all the time. So some of those guys, it gets tough when you start making two appearances in the weekend and trying to stretch those guys too much. So that the talent deficit, the player deficit for Sam Houston State could really be a problem. And facing Texas Tech on a Sunday game, especially the bats of Texas Tech, it could get a little bit ugly. It just depends on what they're able to bring out. These are interesting weekends to watch when you think about how these coaches are game planning through this weekend, thinking about their competition, thinking about the pitchers they're facing and the ones they're going to trot out there. I mean, that's a lot to really consider and try to figure out what your opponent's doing because it's not the same as playing the same team over those three games. You get to know that team. You start to know who's left in their bullpen, who's going to be able to throw more or not. But when you're planning ahead of time, facing these three different teams, and then you're having to respond on the fly to what they did and who they played and who they pitched in a game that you weren't a part of the day before, it just really gets interesting to me. And I think that's some of the cool chess parts of college baseball that makes it a lot of fun to see and why tournament play ends up being a lot of fun as well. Well, that's pretty much all I've got for you for the Frisco College Baseball Classic. I think it's going to be a fun weekend of baseball. I encourage you to get out there and check it out. If you want to watch it, it'll be on flowlive.tv. That's a streaming service that's partnered with the company Peak Events that puts on this tournament. I think that it's a little bit expensive for the weekend. I want to say it's $30 for a monthly pass, uh, and that would allow you to watch the games this weekend. That's a little steep if you ask me, but it may be something you want to do to watch it. You can, of course, always catch it on Double T 97.3 in the Double T 97.3 app with Jamie Lent and probably Mike Gustafson on the call. Jeff Haxon will be behind staying with basketball and doing those things, but I think it's going to be a fun one. I think it's going to be worth watching. I'll certainly do my best to give you updates, and I'll be coming back at you early next week with an episode wrapping up that first college baseball classic. Well, as always, we tell you we'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. And in this segment, we'll be answering your questions from Twitter and otherwise. This is Throwing Chad with Raider Red. This guy's a first ball fastball hitter. He's looking for heat. Oh, yeah? So what? He ain't seen my heat. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Dad's father gave it to him. You may not look like a winning team, but you are one. So, play like one tonight. So not a whole lot of questions this week. There was I'm actually just going to steal a question from Jeff Haxton that he had on the broadcast for the New Mexico State game. He's trying to figure out a nickname to call Tanner Otrimba. Now you hear constant comparisons between Otrimba and Steven Smith that played for the Red Raiders. He's a big-bodied guy. He's much faster than he looks. He hits with some great raw power. His first home run for Texas Tech was an opposite field line drive home run over the right field fence. Just impressive to watch him play. But they're trying to figure it out. Somebody mentioned Earthquake Otrimba. I was not a big fan of that one, but Haxton seemed to like it. I think something like the Ox makes some sense if you consider that Stephen Smith's nickname was the Bull. I also really like the idea of, of calling his home runs Tanner Rotators. 
there was some conversation during the broadcast about how Haxton missed saying Orlando Garcia later when he hit a dinger. And I think that Otremba's a good opportunity to mix something like that back in. But you're welcome to tweet those at me. Jeff Haxton's Twitter is at Guns Up Radio. Would love to see some suggestions for that one. But I think that I'm definitely interested in seeing something like the Ox. I tweeted at him and mentioned the Ox cart. The Ox because of Stephen Smith being the bull. The cart because he's got wheels. But I think it'd be a lot of fun to come up with one. Something about his name. It's a cool name already. And you just want to give those big guys nicknames. I don't know what it is. So Tweet it at Keith B. Patrick, at Dinger underscore Derby, at Guns Up Radio, and throw out your suggestions for an Otrimba nickname and an Otrimba home run call. I'm definitely a big fan of the idea of, of a Tanner O'Tater home run, but we'll see how it goes. I don't think Haxon was a big fan of the Tater. <laughs> it was a little too Southern, maybe, for, for his taste. But that's all I'm going to bring you today. I want to I get you guys back out there. I hope you I hope you find a way to tune in and keep up with this Frisco College Baseball Classic or that you consider running out there and going. I think there's still tickets. General admission's only like 25 bucks for the whole weekend. You can get a reserve seat for 50 or 60 bucks for the whole weekend. It should be a lot of fun. I think there'll be a good showing there of Red Raider fans. It should be a good one. So anyway, if I don't see you in Frisco, I'll be in your feed next week. And until then, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck of tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me